many of you enjoy having our young people up there in the choir with us? Amen? Isn't that cool? Yeah, I love to see it. Um, the only thing is, I'm wondering, um, you know, just to kind of help the teenagers out here a little bit, um, you know, you need to get Josh up there to sing with you, you know. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, I don't know if he heard me, but yeah, his singing is about as good as mine, so there you go. <laughs> All right, for those of you that are staying in here with us, uh, I want you to get your Bibles out, your phones that you use the Bible on, and no texting and all that while you use them, but uh, hopefully you got your Bible, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, for those of you that might not know or, or remember, because it's been a few weeks, we uh, started a series through the book of Philippians. I've been going verse by verse or uh, passage by passage, and so uh, we're in the second chapter of uh, uh, Philippians, so I want to look at verses 12 through 18. I know for those of you that might be keen-minded, you say, well, preacher, didn't you already speak on 12 and 13? Yes, I did. I, I focused on them directly, but I want to lump them in because it's an overall arching theme here, so I'm going to kind of talk a little bit about what I've already shared uh, in that and just kind of tie it all together today. What I want to share with you today, uh, as the Lord laid on my heart, a life of personal obedience. A life of personal obedience. I know it. Those of you that are going, oh no, he's going to talk about me today. I'm talking about me today, okay? All right? A life of personal obedience. It is so important. And, and the Apostle Paul writing to the Philippians here um, just has a wonderful way of tying it all together for us in these few verses that we're going to look at together today. Um, so if you found in your Bible Philippians chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 12, we're going to read through verse 18. So I want you to stand with me as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. All right, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure, do all things without murmuring and disputing, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom you shine as light in the world. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I have offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. Father, we come before you today and thank you for the words of the Apostle Paul. Lord, the words that speak to our personal need for obedience. Lord, we ask that, Father, as we break open the bread of life today, that you would speak unto us, O Lord. That you would move me out of the way and hide me behind the cross, that it not be my word, but your word spoken today. And that the word of the Lord would be proclaimed, and the ears of the saints would hear, and the hearts of the, those that love you would receive your word today. And Lord, we may take these challenges that the Apostle Paul offers unto us, and embed and, and them deep within our hearts, and then let them live out in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated this morning. I want to begin by sharing with you that I know personal obedience is difficult. I know it because I struggle with it every day as well. But in that area of personal obedience, it can be a challenge, especially when we feel tempted to believe 
that, if, that we stand to lose more through our obedience than we might gain. However, obeying God is essential to pleasing God. Not just in times of temptation, but at all times of our life. When God commands us to obey Him, He is giving us a principle by which we are to live out our lives. He is also setting a framework around our lives that forms a hedge of protection from the evil from this world. Can you remember a time, maybe even recently, the last time that you felt tempted to, to do the opposite of what you knew God was desiring for you to do? Most likely a struggle erupted within your heart and in your head, and the question arose, will obeying God cost me more than simply just obeying Him on this little thing? Or we might have asked, can I experience a greater happiness by committing this sin that I would by obeying God. When you and I choose to obey God, we take up the side and the way of wisdom. His promises of blessing for obedience far outweigh the, the opposite possible consequences for disobedience. He asks us to submit ourselves to Him and to leave whatever happens in His loving care. As you and I grow in our walk and our relationship with the Lord... Obedience becomes the avenue by which we know Him better. When we obey Him, He pulls us closer to Himself and teaches us more about His precepts and about His love. Personal obedience is, is, is important not just because you belong to Christ. Personal obedience is the essential part of the gospel witness to the world around us. Today's passage gives us three important instructions regarding personal obedience and your witness to Christ. So I want to share with you three things that I believe that the Apostle Paul wants us to hear today in this area of personal obedience. And whether you're a child, a teenager, or an adult, or whatever age of life, every one of us are called to obedience some of us are still more under our parental obedience and we have to follow what mom and dad say, but we need to understand that mom and dad's parental direction over us is led, hopefully, by the Lord. And therefore, as they are walking in obedience with God, they're then encouraging and challenging you to obey Christ by obeying them. So the very first thing that we find in verses 12 and 13 is the Apostle Paul reminds us that we are to work out our salvation. Paul says something here strange when he tells us to work out our salvation. Verses 12 and 13 uh, have to do with working out salvation and personal obedience to God. Look with me again at the beginning of verse 12 and listen to what he says. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only but now much more in my absence. Paul begins by addressing the Philippians as my beloved. What the Apostle Paul is reminding us is that he is recalling back to the opening of his letter here that he was writing to this as he expressed to the Philippians his deep affection for his friends in Philippi. Paul commended them for their obedience in the past, but now encourages them to continue in the life of obedience. 
He reminds them that their obedience in the past was partly because Paul was standing right there. Paul was standing at the pulpit. Paul was involved in their life. Paul was living among them. But Paul now is nowhere near them. He has found himself in prison. And he doesn't really think that he'll ever be back with them, so he challenges them, not only obey me as you did when I was there, but now that I might not ever see you again, continue in the work and the walk and the relationship with the Lord. If the Philippians' obedience is dependent on Paul being there, they would be in big trouble. It's the same way with you and I. If your obedience is dependent upon the pastor or, or a deacon or a Sunday school teacher or a parent watching over you, there are going to be times when you are not, or at least you don't think anybody's watching, and you will have that opportunity of disobedience. But God's challenging us to choose obedience over disobedience. Your obedience must be tied to Christ, who, by the way, um, when nobody else seems to be around, he is always around. When nobody else seems to be looking, he is always watching. When nobody else seems to see what you're doing, he knows exactly what you're doing. We need to remember that our obedience must be dependent upon Jesus and not on others around us. Paul continues with his instructions in verse 12 by saying, Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasures. Now, a lot of people find these two verses very confusing. And they begin to ask the question, and I can tell you, I've heard this question over and over again. They'll say, Praetor, sir, wait a minute. Just wait a second. I thought I was saved by faith in Jesus. Not by works. I didn't think I was supposed to work my way into heaven. I thought I, I, I got there by faith. What is this working out my salvation? And who's supposed to do the working here in me? Is it me or is it God? Well, to answer those questions, let's take a few moments to look at what the Scripture really says and what Paul is really addressing here and how that you can understand the truth. So we're going to dig in just a little bit and look at uh, these two verses, and I want to share with you three things that we find from there. First of all, you can't work out what you don't already have. Now let me say it again. You can't work out what you don't already have. So what the Apostle Paul is saying is you don't work for your salvation. Rather, you are to work out the salvation that you already have. Once God has saved you by grace through faith, then once he does that, then we are required to do something. Listen, for those of you that think that all God requires of you is to just come on Sunday morning and sit in the pew and, and, and just absorb a little bit of, uh, of whatever it is that I dish out, you've missed it. We're not called to come and sit. We're called to come and work. We're laborers in the field. We are workers for the cause of Christ. We're to work out our salvation. We're to say, thank you for saving me. Now, Lord, what can I do for the cause of Christ? What must I do for you? You know, the Bible really reminds us that salvation is by faith in Christ alone. Even the Apostle Paul in, in his letter to the Ephesians reminded us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not, not of yourself, for it is the gift of God, not by works that, that no man can boast. Yes, you are saved by faith through grace. All right? No amount of work 
or, or a personal effort can earn you into heaven. You are saved by faith, not works, but that doesn't mean that there is no place for works in the Christian life. Faith and obedience go together, hand in hand. You are to work out what God has already worked in you. Philippians 2.12 is not talking about working to earn your salvation. It's talking about working out your salvation and obedience to God as you live for Him. And friends, again, you can't work out what God hasn't already put in there. So the very first thing that we need to remember is faith comes first, then obedience, which equates to work. The second thing that we see the Apostle Paul says to explain this is don't take the working out of your salvation lightly. In other words, what he's saying is, listen, this is more important than what you probably think. Verse 12 says that we're to work out our salvation, and he says it in this way, with fear and trembling, with awe and respect, with great desire. Listen, so many of us are haphazardly trying to get by in this Christian life that we just say, well, uh, isn't coming enough? Isn't tithing enough? Isn't coming to Sunday school enough? Can't I just get away with what I'm doing? Isn't that enough? Ask yourself the question, if God gave his all for us, how much is enough for us to give back to God? I'll leave you with that. So don't take your salvation for granted. Don't just be a casual Christian who comes on Sunday morning and then does nothing all through the week. Don't just drift through your week without the thought to God and His commands and and, and then come on Sunday morning and sing along the songs that we sing. God is not just awesome on Sunday morning. God is not just holy on Sunday morning. God is awesome all the time. God is holy all the time. And if we're going to be Christians, then we need to understand that we live in a world that needs to see Christ in us. He must be in us. You are saved by faith to be called into a life of obedience. Salvation is not only something you receive, but it is something that you work out in your life. Working out your salvation means being obedient to the principles and the precepts that God has taught us in His Word. We need to work out our salvation with an attitude of awe and respect towards a God who has saved us out of our sin. Don't take working out your salvation lightly, but remember, God says do it with fear and trembling. Do it with with that respect and awe that says, God, you deserve my very best. The third thing that he reminds us so that we understand what he's saying here is that we won't work out unless God is already working in. Again, you can't work out your salvation if God isn't already working in your life. I want to ask you the question today, do you believe that God is working in your life? Do you believe that he's doing something besides just saving you from your sin? Listen, my friends, if all you are concerned about is just skating by, all you're concerned about is just being forgiven of my sins, all you're concerned about is just, i got to slide into heaven like I slide into third base, then we miss the point. We need to understand that God's working in us something great so that we can work out something great. Look at verse 13, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. You can't earn your salvation on your own. 
You can't work out your salvation on your own. Remember, it's God who began a work in you. It's God who is continuing to work through you. And therefore, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling because God has begun a good work in us. Why does all this matter, you might ask? Because the gospel is at stake. Yes, the gospel is at stake. The world needs to hear it, but it also needs to see the gospel in us. If you say that you are a Christian and yet you do not obey Christ, then you are denying the very reality that you are a child of God and that the power of the gospel has the power to change your life. If you're the same that you were before you accepted Christ, that you are after you accepted Christ, then something's wrong because the gospel changes us. And if we haven't been changed, then we haven't really accepted the gospel message. And the world is looking to see if the gospel has the power to change them from the the way they're living to the way they need to live. From the regrets of life to the rejoicing of life. The world around us is saying, listen, church, if you're truly the church, then start living like it so we see it so that we can believe it. We need to recognize living out our our salvation is important because it is the gospel that is at stake. Personal obedience is the essence, uh, 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 the essential part of our gospel witness. Now, so Paul addresses after that the very next thing. He then says that we are to work out our salvation. And then he says, back up your life with your witness. Or better yet, back up your witness with a life that is living in obedience to Christ. So let's look at the next verses, 14 through 16. The Apostle Paul has just commanded the church at Philippi to work out their salvation. In other words, he's saying, church, it's time to get out of your seat and on your feet and go out into the world and show the world what it looks like to live as a Christian. He sent them on a road trip. He sent them out to be what he has called them to be. He's writing not just to individuals, but to the entire church family. He is ha- and is, he happens to know that one of the most discouraging things to work through as you're attempting to work out your salvation as an individual or a local church is to allow the guest of complaining spirit to take up residency in your life. You want to kill the spirit of the Lord in a church? Start complaining about what things are happening around the church. Start complaining about the teachers and start complaining about the preacher and start complaining about the music and start complaining about how hard the pews are and how cold it was in the room and how hot it was in the room and start complaining about this and and start complaining about the fact that I am not going to get done at 12 o'clock. You can go ahead and start now. I ain't. It's not going to happen. Gina, you can hear me downstairs. You know that. All right? For those of you are eating lunch, Gina just heard that we ain't getting done at noon. All right? And it happens to know that, that that complaining spirit can cripple a church. As Christians, we must reflect Christ, not complaining. We can't say one thing and do another. 
Over the years, too many people have been turned away from the church because of the hypocrisy that they see in those who claim to be Christians. Our life must match what we say we are. Our life must be a testimony of the power of the gospel to change our life. So what's that old saying? Your actions speak so loudly, I cannot hear what you are saying. Or we've heard it said, you know, actions speak louder than words. Personal obedience is the essential part of the gospel witness. You and I must back up our witness with our life. Paul has a couple of things to say about that. First of all, look at verse 14. And um, Can we just skip over this one? Can we just, yeah, I, I think we ought to just skip over this verse and, and, and just forget it's not there. Um, it'll make me feel better. Um, I don't know about you, but it sure make me feel better. Well, I guess we can. All right, look at verse 14. Do all things without murmuring and disputing. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. I told you I just wanted to skip over that one. Paul starts here with a doozy. He says, no more complaining and arguing, no more grumbling and complaining. He didn't say not to do some things without complaining or arguing. He didn't say do most things without complaining or arguing. He simply said do all things without complaining or arguing. Any other complainers here in the room today besides myself? Uh, you want to just uh, help me out here? I don't like to be alone. <laughs> yeah, the rest of you are just lying to yourself. All right. I can prove it. I can prove it that all of us are complaining. How many of you have complained about how hot it got this week? <laughs> you don't even have to slip up your hand. How many of you have been gone, or gone to the gas pump this week and had to fill up your vehicle and went, oh, 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 oh. Okay. We're all complainers. We're all murmurers. We're all grumblers. All right. I wish I didn't have to say it, but listen. For those of us that are murmurers, complainers, and grumblers, I want you to write this verse down on a little card, uh, Philippians 2.14, and I want you to start memorizing it this week and, and let it be your theme verse. It needs to be mine. I need it on my mirror of my truck and every other where. Um, do all things without murmuring and complaining, grumbling and arguing, fussing and feuding, the word complaining here actually means murmuring, whispering complaints. Oh, here's where I get a little personal, you know. For those of you that say, I don't ever uh, say it out loud, but you mutter those things under your breath. Paul is saying, listen, it's the very same thing. Rather you verbalize it loud enough for everybody else to hear, or you're just saying it under your breath so that you don't get in trouble for saying it. <laughs> Okay, so teenagers, we know you do it all the time. All right, uh, been there, done that. All right, we're murmurers and complainers. You know, but we're not the only ones. As a matter of fact, we can go back to the scripture and look at the book of Exodus, and we can find that in the book of Exodus, the, the Bible tells us that there was a group of people called the Israelites. 
And God had done wonderful things for them. He had heard their cry in, in, in Egypt, and he sent Moses to go and retrieve them and take them out of the, uh, out of the, uh, the captivity of, uh, of Egypt and brought them out into the wilderness. And there uh, he took care of them by parting the Red Sea, taking care of Pharaoh's army, bringing them manna from heaven and water from a rock and, and all of those wonderful things. And when they found themselves not quite where they wanted to be? What did they do? Well, they murmured and complained, of course, and they grumbled and they complained, and they murmured and they complained. And they said, well, have you brought us out here just simply to die? What's wrong with you? Weren't we better over there? Oh, how that we too spend so much time murmuring and complaining. Why do we waste so much energy Complaining about things that, that really don't matter. Did you know that complaining simply just makes people unhappy? It makes you unhappy and it makes everybody else unhappy around them. Do you really want that to be the witness of your life that the world sees? Do you want that to be what's known of you as a Christian? And all they do is murmur and complain. There ain't nothing good ever happens. It's all bad. Well, listen. Let me just remind you that if we will remember that verse and we'll live out that verse and we'll start, stop murmuring and complaining, people will notice. And they'll make a difference in how they see us and how they receive us in the world. The second thing he reminds us of is found in verse 15 that we're to stand out from the world. Verse 15 reminds us so that you may become blameless and pure children of God and without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. As Christians, we're to stand out from the world. We're the children of God. But all too often, we act like the children of our culture. We act and behave like the world around us. We blend in. We oftentimes say, well, you know, I really don't want to stand out in a crowd. I really don't want to, I don't want everybody looking at me. So I'll just kind of live a little bit like them. I'll just kind of act just like them. I'll kind of tell the same stories just like them. Let me just remind you, go back to the life of Peter on that night when the Lord told him that he will betray him three times before the cock crows. Peter, the, the guy that was outspoken, the Peter that was, was bold and always sticking his foot in his mouth because he was always willing to say what needed to be said. Also, decided to go along with the world and just blend in and paid a horrendous price for it. You see, the Bible tells us that we cannot be like the world. We allow the world all too often to conform us to its image rather than let God work within us to conform us to Christ's image. How can you back up your life, your witness with your life, if your life is indistinguishable with the world around you? And what is the world around you? What does the Apostle Paul say? The Bible says it is a crooked and depraved generation. We live in a dark world that has left the light of God's truth far behind. 
Look at the policies that we do have in America today. Look at the standards in which we're living in America today and tell me how they line up with God's word. Not at all. We, the church, ought to be on the opposite side of every one of those issues. The world doesn't care what God says about marriage or purity or worship or the words that we speak. The world declares its independence from God and operates on its own set of rules. We have our own standard, the world says. That's why the Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 12, verse 2, And be ye not conformed by this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, and prove that which is good and acceptable in the perfect will of God. That is what will make one stand out in this depraved and and crooked world. We're no longer allowing the world to shape us and mold us, but we are now saying, listen, I'm going to be like Christ, who went against the culture, who went against the odds, but he stood up for truth. And I want to stand on that truth today. And then in verse 16, he says, Hold forth the word of life to others. Let us be reminded that our personal obedience is important not just to ourselves, but to everyone watching us. When God tells you not to complain or argue, when he calls you to be a a blameless and pure in, in your personal witnesses, not for your own sake alone, but it's a part of your gospel witness to the world that is watching you. He says to us that we're to shine like stars as you hold out the word of life. Notice that Paul relates to the Philippian obedience to his command to his own reward at the day of Christ. He goes on to say in verse 16, In order that I may, not, I may boast on that day of Christ, that I did not run my life for race in vain and labor for nothing, Let me just take you back to the Olympics just for a moment. Picture an Olympic uh, runner training day in and day out, year after year, to qualify to run in the Olympics. Running a strong race and then getting disqualified at the last moment because they didn't follow the rules. Paul says to the Philippians, don't let me run or labor for nothing. He said, I shared the gospel with you that it might make a difference in your life so that you would make a difference in the people's lives that you encounter. If you don't live out the gospel in your own life and share it with others, then my work, my labor is in vain. Listen, I don't get up here and preach Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, Thursday after Thursday, so that you can go and live your life the way you want. I do it so that you can have an understanding of what God requires of you. Because I understand, as the Apostle Paul understands, that one day I'm going to stand before the Lord and give an account for my life and what I've told you and how I've told you to live out your life. And I'm either going to uh, receive the reward because you were faithful to do so, or the condemnation because I didn't get the message across of how important it is to live out your life for Christ and not for this world. For this world will vanish away, but Christ will live forever and ever. Someone has shared the gospel with you, and they wanted to see your life changed. 
They wanted to see you give your life over completely to Jesus. They wanted to see your life make an impact in eternity. And like Paul, they also want to be able to say one day before Christ, I didn't run my race in vain. I didn't waste my life. I invested it in the lives of others. And because of that, they're here. And because they're here, others are here. And because others are here, others are here. Personal obedience is the essential part of our gospel witness to a lost and dying world that needs to not only hear Christ, but see Christ living out in us. We need to work out our salvation. We need to back up our witness with a life that is living for Christ. And then lastly, in verses 17 through 18, he says, rejoice in your part of the sacrifice. Look at verses 17 and 18. Yea, and, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. So what's the Apostle Paul saying? He's saying pour out yourself into service of others. You heard earlier Josh mentioned that we need more helpers for Vacation Bible School. But we not only need more helpers for Vacation Bible School, we need workers for Wednesday night, we need somebody in the nursery, we need some more teachers for children, we need some more laborers on, uh, on, on Sunday morning for Sunday school classes. We need, we need workers that are willing to invest into others. And the reason the Apostle Paul says that it's an investment, he says, listen, when you're living out your life and my life is poured into you, he's talking about a, a sacrifice. Paul told the Philippians in verse 5 that they should have the same attitude as Christ. Here in verse 17, he shows them that the same attitude of Christ is that Jesus emptied himself in obedience to his Father, Paul pours himself out in service to the Philippian believers. In the Old Testament, a drink offering of wine was poured out in conjunction with the sacrifice of the bullock on the altar. The bullock, in, in burning its flesh, had a kind of a not-so-wonderful smell. But God told them to pour wine upon the altar on that burning sacrifice. And, and when the, 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 the sugar and the, the, the fruit was evaporated in the fire, a smoke rolled up and a sweet-smelling savor, the Scripture says, appeared before the Lord. And what God is saying is that when you and I pour our life into someone else's life, it's like being poured onto that sacrifice and we become a sweet-smelling savor to our Lord. He says, wow, what a blessing it is to see my children investing their lives in others, pouring themselves out on the sacrifice of the altar. Paul gave everything for the Philippians. He poured himself out to them. He has given his all. And as Christians, God is calling you and I to pour ourselves out unto the service of others. The Christian life is not a solitary life of obedience to God. It is a life of community living, serving each other out of the obedience to God. And then Paul closes by reminding us that there is a mutual sacrifice that brings about a mutual joy. He says, a life of mutual sacrifice 
will bring joy among the whole house of God. Look at the end of verse 17 into verse 18. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Boy, I could say that. I'm glad and I rejoice in you all. You know, just a, a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to brag on a couple of our folks right now because this is what I think I need to do. Um, the county did a recognition for um, uh, ministry awards. And uh, we had a couple of our folks in, in one of our ministries that got recognized. Our second chance flower ministry that uh, sends flowers out to hospitals and offices and, and, and nursing homes and retirement homes was recognized for their gift to the community for the service of what they do. And then we've got one of our ladies, Miss Cookie Parker, um, who works at Ash Really Cares and was nominated for that reward for her labor in serving the Lord uh, in that ministry. And then a week or two later, uh, the, stepped up from the county to the, to the state and two of our folks received what's called the Governor's Award. Miss Joyce Borchert for her uh, faithfulness to the Second Ch Chance Flower Ministry and her faithfulness to go and, and bring a smile to pe people's face. The governor acknowledged that as something worth recognizing. And again, Cookie Parker for her service, not only at Ashley Cares, but her ministry to the hospital as a chaplain, received the governor's award. I share in that joy. I share in that pride of those going out from among us and serving in the Lord. And I know others didn't get that recognition for what you all do, but I want you to be reminded of something, that God will not miss a moment. And what the Apostle Paul was saying is, listen, whether you're acknowledged here on earth or not, when you get to heaven, you'll be acknowledged. And when, when God acknowledges you for your service, he's going to acknowledge me for my service. And, and what a joy it's going to be. And God's people are going to rejoice together. What a great day of celebration it's going to be. But we can't get that. We can't have that sitting on our hands in our pews. You and I as Christians cannot just sit on our hands and think that just coming to church is enough. We have to pour out our life. We have to find others that we can invest in. And we have to serve even the least of these, as I talked about it in my Sunday school class, and Josh mentioned it in announcements. Serving the least of these pouring ourselves into their lives so that one day they can pour their lives into someone else. It should be your joy to pour your life out and sacrifice for others. Don't resent the sacrifice. Don't resent the service, but expand upon it. Be glad and rejoice together. So let me close personal obedience to Christ is the essential part of our gospel witness. I've said it over and over again. I hope that you've heard it. You're not just being obedient so that God can say, good job, oh boy. 
You're being obedient because it makes a difference in the world. And in these verses, God gave us three motivations to obey Christ. God is working in you to will and to act according to His good pleasure that, for those of us that love God. The world is watching your life as you share the gospel not only in word but in deed. Others have poured themselves into you so that you ought to pour yourself out into others. Work out your salvation. Back up your witness with your life in obedience. And then rejoice in the sacrifice that you make for others because God is rejoicing in you. Shine like the stars in heaven on a clear night in a dark and dismal world that needs a light. Let Jesus' light so shine in you that he will see, they will see Christ and what he can do in them. All right. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Tammy, you mind just coming and playing just as I am for me or something? Whatever, whatever you think of, just play something. I don't care. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I want to ask... Where are you in your life in that area of personal obedience that not just between you and God, but that the world is seeing around you? We asked a question last Wednesday night in our study. If God would invest whatever it took in your life, if he was to come to you and say, I'm looking for a good investment, a place to pour in my resources, a place to pour in my love, a place to pour in my power, would you be a good investment for God? Would your life be one in which you would say, Lord, if you invest in me, I will turn around that investment by investing in others? I want you to think about that just for a moment. And as Tammy begins to play, I'm going to begin to pray for you. And then I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet when I close in prayer. And then if you need to come to the altar this morning, I want you to do that. Father, as we bow our heads and our hearts in the presence of the Lord this morning, Lord, I want our lives to be an investment worth your time, worth your power, worth your love. I want to be a life in which you would pour yourself into because you believe that I will pour myself out into others. And Lord, I want everyone that's here today to live a life just like that, a life worthy of you investing in them because you know they'll invest in others. Lord, I know that some that are here today would look at their life and say, but I'm at the latter stages of my life. What can I possibly do? Lord, remind them of the great things that they can still do for you. Lord, maybe some of them are here today and they're too young and they think that I'm but a teenager. I'm just a, a young person. What can I do for you? 
Let them remember that God has used teenagers all through the Bible. And He can do great things through them. Maybe there's some of them here that are so busy in their lives saying, life is so busy. How can I give anymore? Father, show them, as you did others in the Scripture that were busy, how that you helped them to develop the priorities of life so that you became number one. Hear us now as we pray, O Lord. If there are things that need to change, if there are decisions that need to be made, if there's salvation that needs to be experienced, I pray that they would